connecting, growing, and gaining opportunities together. Welcome to the Travel Hub Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Travel Hub Podcast. I'm Michelle Bouchard, your host for today's show. It took a health pandemic to tell us what we already knew. The government needs to invest billions of dollars into the United States travel broadband infrastructure. Everywhere you look right now, there are new funding programs popping up. The NTIA Travel Connectivity, the American Rescue Plan, USDA, and the United States Infrastructure Plan are all promising billions of funds to be spent over the next several years. During a webinar I hosted a few weeks ago, a panel of experts hosted an informative and helpful discussion with the goal of helping tribes to prepare for what is to come, as well as to share insights into ways these funds can be used. This was one of our most highly attended webinars, and it is such an important topic that we thought it would be beneficial to share the conversation out via our podcast network. Take a listen. Special thanks today to our webinar partners, Calix and CHR Solutions. We have a great session ahead of you today. Um, so now I'm going to stop screen sharing and turn things over to Greg, who's part of the Calix team, and he is going to kick off our session. Wonderful, wonderful. Good morning, good afternoon. It, it's so exciting for everybody who are chatting and tell me where you're all from. Um, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm part of this in a sense that uh, I've, I've lived in California, I lived in New Mexico, I noticed there's people from Arizona uh, in the Northeast. So I'm, I'm currently on the East Coast right now, and I represent Calix inside the Beltway to help drive broadband funding. And who is Calix? Just real quick, uh, we provide solutions to help service providers build better broadband networks, more from the hardware software solution standpoint, but we certainly have partners around this software. I, I want to get right into the details here and, and and just say that it's it's just amazing what's happened over the past year. It, it took a health pandemic to tell us what all of us already knew. I mean, we, we know that the government has not moved quick enough in investing money in the broadband infrastructure. And coming to you today more on the travel side, I know that you have had very similar types of things that we're hearing all over the country. Uh, everywhere we look, there's new funding, whether it's the NTIA travel connectivity, and uh, we, we do have some updates on that, and I'm going to push that towards the end where Godfrey's going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, USDA uh, has just launched a program around broadband funding. We'll get into the details in a second. And then the infrastructure plan has put money both in NTIA tribal as well as USDA. So we're looking at dedicated funds specifically for the tribal communities. In this session, we're going to uh, really cover a lot of different things. Obviously, we'll cover broadband funding, but I think what's more importantly is, is how you would use the funding. What's eligible for the funding? What types of things can you do? Do you do feasibility studies? Do you, do you help with the service or the affordability? Or do you just spend the money specifically on building an infrastructure? And I would say it's all of the above. But let, with no further ado, I'd like to get to our panelists because that's really the most exciting thing of what we're doing today. Uh, what we're doing today is that we pulled folks from both corners of the country. And I think I'm really excited about this. Allison Mitchell, who's the general manager of the Mohawk Networks, uh, is joining us. Uh, she's up in the New York, Canada, right on the border there. And kind of working out things there, and she's going to give her perspective. But also in the Southwest, in New Mexico, 
We have uh, Gottfried and Jada. Uh, he is the GM. He is both the GM of uh, Mescalero Apache Telecom, but also the president of the National Tribal Telecommunications Association. So he has a lot to share also. On more of the solution side, uh, we have Barrick, who primarily focuses on software solutions. So he's he's going to help give his perspective because he's worked with customers all over the country. And then I'll be driving the show here. But with no further ado, I'd like to just jump right in and reach out to you. I'm going to start with you, Gottfried. You know, how has your area fared in, in with the pandemic? And what are some of the impacts you've seen with education, medicine, and employment? Uh, Greg, I appreciate the, the opportunity to speak today. And uh, on behalf of NTTA and MATI, thank you for letting me talk today and uh, be able to uh, share our opinions of uh, the, the challenges that's happened through this pandemic. Uh, a lot of us seem to be shell-shocked from it. Uh, we're still trying to get back on track. Our movements were pretty much curbed there for quite a while. We had to adjust and uh, work from home a lot. So with that in mind, uh, if our nation was not where it was with broadband uh, connectivity here in Miscalero, we wouldn't have fared very well. So a lot of tribes, I would imagine, would have had the hardest time trying to make sure kids going to school, being able to uh, get online. The biggest thing that we had here was we worked with the school uh, in meetings. Zoom was never a thought of before this time until now. And everybody Zooms now. So uh, are any of the other... Uh, meeting apps that are out there. Uh, that's one of the things that, that was a challenge at the beginning, but uh, our network was able to hold up. Calyx and Adtran and other uh, vendors like that uh, have a very good product. And if you have, if you build a, a good fiber backbone for your community, I mean, you could do almost anything to provide services, especially for the hospital or uh, telehealth or uh, the school itself, being able to get everybody online which we did. The only problem that we did have, though, was uh, parents were at home, too. So uh, trying to share that bandwidth at home uh, with uh, Zoom calls, but also them trying to get on with uh, Netflix or something else. So we, we had to tell the parents just to stay off, let kids go to school, then you can watch whatever you want, just to have the bandwidth that they needed. At least we were fortunate enough to be able to do that. Right now, on here on the reservation, we got about, I'd say... 750 customers that are on fiber to the home. And I just recently received a, a C loan through uh, RUS. So we're going to make it where hopefully by next year, this time will be 100% fiber to the home here in Miscalero. So those are some of the things that we're looking at to do. But the, the, the pandemic was a challenge. And I can see other tribes having such a the hardest time to be able to uh, try to meet that needs. But fortunately, uh, I built this company to do that, and uh, we made ourselves to where we can get through this pandemic because of it. So you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for all that's happened and uh, been able to uh, make some wise decisions early on. And on behalf of NTTA, also all the member uh, tribal telcos, we're all in that same situation. So we met the needs of the communities. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Godfrey. And I'd like to turn that question to you, Allison, but... Also, if you could add on to that of, you know, that what we're reading is, is, is that, is that the areas do have uh, 
quite a bit of bandwidth, 25 or above up to 100. Uh, could you share what you went through with the pandemic, but then shift to talking about what what is really happening from a speed standpoint for network performance standpoint? A great question. Thank you, Godfrey. That was a that was a great intro. I am um, I'm going to skip over what you said, and uh, I almost want to say ditto. Um, <laughs> and um, and at the same time, I recognize that there are so many tribes that um, throughout Indian country that don't have access that struggle with with just basic access. I think that I was scrolling through the chat and I'm trying to keep it off to the side so it doesn't get too uh, so it doesn't get uh, too much in the way. But I, I think that I saw somebody just took an ATV um, to be able to actually see this presentation. And that that uh, chokes me up a little bit, strikes home, um, because I think that um, Godfrey and I are probably in uh, much different circumstances where we, we have our own challenges meeting the needs of our community, but we also um, are very fortunate that we have fiber backbones to be able to deliver connectivity to our community and to our, to our tribal members. Um, and I think that um, one of the biggest opportunities that we had over the last year was to be able to really test, to be able to really test our network and to be able to really test the bandwidth, to be able to test the capabilities and the capacity that our network had. And I think just like the rest of the world uh, with other community net, community networks, we did that in a matter of, um, of a week. It was almost overnight that we really saw where our network, where our network uh, capacity uh, was and where deficiency, deficiencies were. Um, I think that, um, so just to take a step back, I'm uh, the general manager of Mohawk Networks. We are owned by the St. Regis Mohawk Tribe. Uh, we're a Section 17 holding company. Uh, our parent company is a Section 17 holding company of the St. Regis Mohawk Tribe. Uh, we started in, uh, we, we laid about 68 miles of fiber um, in, uh, it was completed in 2015 and in 2016, uh, Mohawk Networks transitioned from the St. Regis Mohawk Tribes Broadband Project, if you will, a program um, to an LLC, to one of our tribally owned LLCs. Um, so just a little bit of perspective there. We have um, we, we, we have about uh, close to 1,400 residential homes um, on territory that we serve with fiber, and we do um, continue to serve people wirelessly as well. So um, Godfrey, to your point, without that fiber backbone, um, the challenges throughout the past year would have been, in my opinion, pretty insurmountable. Um, one of the biggest challenges that we faced, just like everybody else, was how do you immediately pivot to be able to meet the needs of our students and to be able to meet the needs of people who were working remotely, um, who had never worked remotely. Um, our own bandwidth um, proved to be to be uh, something that uh, I think if it not were for the pandemic, we would not have had the opportunity to be able to test, to, to be able to augment and to be able to strengthen um, our, our network. Um, we have, uh, you know, obviously we view this as critical infrastructure um, and our ability to be able to help the community pivot was um, was was of utmost importance. Um, education, um, e-commerce, we have a lot of small businesses that relied on relied on connectivity and at the same time having multiple children in the home who needed to uh, who needed to be able to be in class and to be able uh, to stay connected this past year uh, allowed us to be able to like I said uh, really challenge and stress our network and 
Uh, we had um, we, we also spent the last year not only meeting the needs of the community and doing our very best uh, to uh, to ensure connectivity, but also replacing our core network, uh, which was, as you can imagine, uh, a, a colossal undertaking uh, throughout a pandemic. Um, that was something that we are we're at the tail end of right now. Um, but in speaking about opportunities and challenges, those are a couple of things that we faced over the last over the last year. Uh, that was excellent. That was excellent. Thank you so much. And uh, just a quick note to the audience. Um, feel free to put your questions in the chat. I have the chat window open. Um, awesome. Michelle is going to help us out with that. So I, I want this as interactive as possible. If you want to insert a question now, that's fine. Or if you just want to wait to the end. Um, but thank you, Allison. I was going to start with you in the next question. I'm going to let you take a quick rest and and I'm going to go back to Gottfried and, and tee up this next topic. So the next topic is around the network operational models. What works, what doesn't work? And, and, and Gottfried, both from your tribal area where you're from, as well as some of the partners or, or members of your association, um, what, what are tribes doing? Are they, they actually running their own network? Are they building their own network? Are they running their own network? You know, where would partners get involved or where do partners not get involved? And if partners get involved, is, you know, how much does it really help? So uh, if you could provide some of the dynamic around that topic, that'd be fantastic. Sure, Greg. Uh, let's talk a little bit about networks, uh, depending on what you are. Uh, especially for a lot of tribes that put in, there's some 280 to 300 tribes that put in for funding through NTIA. Of that, uh, there are only 10 uh, tribal uh, telecoms in the United States that are uh, highly regulated, that have ETC with the FCC and some with their states. In that model, uh, we're able to uh, receive funding from uh, uh, Lifeline, LinkUp, and the EBB program. So. Those are some of the things that you want to look at of uh, what kind of model do you want to kind of go after uh, in these neck, uh, in the operational models that are built here. The, the greatest emphasis is on building a fiber backbone, one that's going to be able to connect uh, the services from one end of the reservation to the other. Are, uh, in, in those mind, if you think about it, uh, looking at once I have that kind of a network built, it, it can support any kind of uh, wireline or fiber to the home uh, 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 connectivity, and also for a wireless network. If, if you choose to do a wireless, you can support each of those towers with fiber connections, and that gives you the highest speed that you can get for different areas. In those models, looking at that here in Miscalero, we have a fiber backbone. We have some 280 miles of fiber running around the reservation. And with that, we, we have a, a connectivity everywhere. We use GPON, and in that GPON scenario, we're putting 2.4 gigabytes of uh, connectivity to each home. Uh, again, we are uh, tariffed and regulated, so we do sell those services to homes and at the highest, anywhere from we can do 100 by 100 symmetrical, or, or actually we can even go higher, but that's uh, dependent on the regulatory uh, parts that we work on. In the other model, you're looking at uh, tribes that could just not even have to go through that regulatory uh, framework, but also just provide uh, services like an ISP. You can also add a voice product to that and be able to sell dial tone if you want to, uh, but you can do that or uh, get that from uh, someone else, hosted services out there. One of our uh, 
NTTA members uh, do that. Uh, uh, that'll be Saddleback Communications. Uh, they sell uh, another company called Reconnect that's part of that, and they sell dial tone. They can hook up into your uh, ISP and be able to provide a lot of these kinds of services. So once that uh, backbone uh, network is built, I mean, uh, uh, you can do almost anything you want to do. And that, that's one of the greatest things that you should look at modeling that. Part of NTTA, we're looking at trying to build tribal smart communities. And, and these tribal smart communities, we're trying to put together uh, standards of what tribes should try to follow and try to build a, a bulletproof network. That, that network's got to be able to carry you and be able to uh, provide the services that you need from one end to the other. So looking at fiber, looking at the wireless, uh, you can use a, a lot of different flavors of this. Uh, uh, there's a lot of vendors out there to help you with that. And uh, we, we're doing that for a lot of tribal nations. So hopefully uh, I didn't take up too much time, Greg, but uh, I just want to make sure we, we kind of uh, went through a lot of that. But the biggest thing, again, is that fiber backbone. I mean, that's going to be the critical part of your network that's going to be able to deliver services that you want from one end to the other. Thank you very much. And uh, Allison, what can you share from your perspective? I'm going to piggyback off of exactly what Godfrey just said. Um, if you have the opportunity to be able to, and and uh, with the caveat, every community has a different need, right? And uh, the same model that works for our community doesn't necessarily translate into every other community that is struggling to be able to get access. For Mohawk Networks, we have the ability to to take your words to uh, future-proof and bulletproof our network and our operational model. We have a fiber backbone. We have initially about 68 miles of fiber that was run throughout our ter territory. At this point, we're a little closer to um, probably 85 miles of fiber running throughout the community. Um, like I mentioned before, we have a, close to about 1,400 homes uh, that are that rely on our service, as well as many small businesses. Probably close to about 200 small businesses that operate on either our our business, our, one of our business fiber packages, or if they're just a small um, a small business running out of their kitchen table, uh, they may use a 100 meg package to be able to stay connected and make sure that all of their e-commerce needs are met, while at the same time making sure that the kids that are home from school are able to uh, stay connected to their to their classroom and their peers as well, and, and be able to maintain that level of connectivity throughout the day is absolutely critical. So for us, we have, like I mentioned, we have a fiber to the home packages. Uh, they range from our 25 meg package to 100 meg package. Um, I had mentioned earlier that we had replaced our core network. Uh, we are at the tail end of that project right now. And we hope that uh, over the course of the next year, we're going to be able to move everybody who are uh, who've been relying on those 25 meg packages to the new requirements, which is, you know, we, we need to be able to get our community up to at minimum um, 100 meg packages. So that's that's one of our challenges throughout the next year is from an education standpoint um, and being able to make sure that our community understands what those what those needs are for their homes and being able to help put homes in the right packages. I think education of um, education of access is critical, especially when you run a community network so that so that your community understands the difference between a 25 meg package and why, why 20 
20 different devices in the house is, is really not that of that far of a stretch right now. And why you may be experiencing some significant latency if you're on a 25 meg package and you have three or four children in the home. Um, we do a lot of education and we do a lot of uh, a lot of helping our customers be able to figure out exactly what's going to work for their for their home. And um, and, and then not only that, to be able to monitor the network uh, 24-7 and to be able to proactively monitor the network and, and be able to troubleshoot around the clock is, is important for our community. It's important for our community to be able to speak to somebody 24-7. It's important for our community to be able to have access to talk to technician throughout the weekend uh, when our normal business hours are, are over and done with. One of the ways that we've met those uh, we've met that challenge is through a shared service agreement with our casino IT operations team. Um, they actually handle our calls after hours and it's really helped us to be able to augment the, the, the operational expense that otherwise would not be possible to be able to truly have a staff 24 seven uh, from an expense perspective. Excellent. We're getting some questions coming in and, and it's perfect timing. And thank you so much for your question, Beth. So Beth is asking, and I'll paraphrase a little bit. Uh, Beth is asking, you know, what is the role of the private ISP in your area, and uh, how how can you best work with them? And then she also asks, which is kind of extension of that, is 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 uh, how are you handling affordability? So I'll I'll start with you, Allison, uh, since you're on a roll, and then we'll shift back to you, Godfrey. No, sure. So that's that's an excellent question because these are um, these are questions that I think uh, five six years ago we were much more concerned about access and how do we connect. And now we're we're really focused on cybersecurity right now. We're focused on securing our community, focused on being able to again provide education to our community. Do we do? Uh, this is the same diligence that a um, that a large company that a large ISP does. Probably not, but are we working towards that? Absolutely. So, like I mentioned, we actually have an extension of our IT team, and we um, through our through our uh, our casino and our gaming operations. Obviously, they have uh, in a highly regulated industry. They have very um, intense cybersecurity requirements, and rather than go out and reinvent um, reinvent build another. Uh, build another wheel, if you will. We work uh, very tightly with our cybersecurity team at the casino, and that is that's actually uh, so we've installed firewalls. We make sure that we have the the latest. Uh, replacing our core network this past year really afforded us the opportunity to be able to take a thirty thousand foot view of what our cybersecurity looked like and be able to augment and to be able to re-architect uh, the way that we were connected. And, and cybersecurity was definitely factored into um, every single conversation. I hope that helps answer a little bit of your question. It's not so much an easy question to just answer with a with a yes yes or no answer, but so from a from a network's uh, network security standpoint, uh, our firewalls absolutely are in place. And from a uh, from a uh, fiber to the home and residential residential customer model, I'm I'm almost good. Am I allowed to punt this to somebody at Calix and be able to have you um, answer some of the and I don't mean to make this a sales pitch, but I know that we we've, <laughs> we've done some uh, we we've we've used some of your some of your models, and we've we've actually with success implemented Protect IQ, 
which allowed parents to be able to have much more access over what uh, this was definitely not this was definitely not a plant, but we we got okay. a lot of good feedback from parents who were able to turn. Um, essentially turn off the kids' connectivity at a certain time throughout the day and to be able to know exactly what their what their children and what users in their household are actually being able to what content they're accessing and what time of day they're being able to to use the uh, to use the internet. Yes, there is help out there. And I know as a parent, I scratch my head is like, where do I go? Where do I go? But um, anyway, thank you for that question. So that that covers Alex's question quite a bit. Um, on Beth's question, and I'll, I'll send this one to you, Godfrey. Uh, so the question was, uh, as you develop and store your fiber backbone, how do you coordinate with any already established ISP networks in the area? We didn't have any, so I mean that's pretty easy. Uh, just the, the fact that uh, nobody was providing any of that kind of service. Uh, so actually, we, we have to look at the two different models. We're a different animal compared to what Allison is. Allison's more of an ISP portion, and we're a full telecom uh, broadband connection company. So I provide 911 services to our local police department. Uh, there's a lot of regulation on top of me, so I have to make sure that I provide. I guess in the old way, five nines of reliability. So, I mean, and no one's heard of that for quite a while, but that reliability has to stay up and our networks have to stay up no matter what. So we do work. That That is a great idea how Allison said that uh, they're working with a casino to be able to take uh, calls. Uh, we have uh, on-call here that we, uh, all the managers uh, take that every week and they're on-call after hours. So we're 24 seven here. We're always working no matter what, if we have fiber cut, we're out in the field getting there to do that. If we have uh, problems with one of our towers, we're getting up there to make sure that's done. Again, uh, we live in a very mountainous area. Snow is a problem at times. We're looking at generators that come on because of uh, power lines down. So we, we just got to look at all that redundancy that you have built into the network to make sure that it stays up no matter what. Uh, you know, it, it's a great thing to do, but we did... Uh, coordinate with the company that we bought out here uh, back in the day it was a company called GTE and uh, we they coordinated with us uh, handed over the transition from one company to another and we took over services and that was 20 years ago so Maddie is uh, 20 years old uh, this year so uh, we've been <laughs> here so it's, it's a great thing that's a good way of looking at it and uh uh, just I'm going to just cover uh, uh, just a, one quick extension, and it's it's really just a, kind of a yes, no, Godfrey, but you were you said you did affordability, but you needed an ETC, correct? So I, I, I think the question is, is, is what, how have people handled the affordability question? EBB is, um, does require the ETC, uh, so that is something that you would need to do uh, with the USAC be put that forward and they're going to carry that fund over to the affordability uh just slipped my mind but the uh, infrastructure bill put another uh 14 billion dollars in i'm stealing all the barracks thunder so the barrack will cover that uh towards the end of where all the money is going so on affordability and uh, a couple one more question then we'll jump back to the agenda alan is asking for the fiber to the home customers have the providers considered unthrottling usage based billing any anybody doing use of space billing or do you have opinions on use of space billing well for for uh maddie we, we are regulated in that model so 
we have sustainability models that are built in using USF, Universal Service Fund. So we get funding. So uh, the tribe does not give us any money at all. So we're uh, independent in uh, the funding that we receive. So with that, obviously, tariffs have to be filed within the state and the FCC. So we, we sustain that model of uh, providing those kind of services and services that we give. So that's kind of uh, kind of regulated. Now, Allison's model, she can she can unthrottle everything and give everything of how she wants to. But obviously, she has a model that uh, looks at uh, making sure that she uh, gets a return on investment, let's just say that, to make sure that she pays for everything, especially for the operational uh, side of the house. That, that's one of the things that you got to look at that's coming up in this new uh, NTI uh, grants is if you build infrastructure, how are you going to pay for it? And it's like giving you a, a brand new car, but uh, by the way, you got to pay for all the gas and oil in it. And how are you going to do that if you don't, if you're not getting any riders yet? So uh, you have to kind of look at that kind of stuff. So that's coming down the road. So uh, that's sustainability model has to be done. And Allison, I'm sure you've done a great job in providing this. Uh, you might talk a little bit about your uh, feasibility study and your uh, uh, five-year forecast of how you're going to pay for everything. So I, I, I'm really interested in how you guys are doing that. Obviously, I have to follow a roadmap for my students. Sure, that's a that's an excellent lead-in. So I, I think that uh, there there are a lot of very clear differences between how we operate, and we have a lot of similarities as well, right? Because at the end of the day, you couldn't have put it more perfectly with your uh, with your analogy of a of a brand new brand new Cadillac, but you need the gas, right? And you need to pay for the insurance, you need to pay for the tires, um, and the person driving also, right? So that that's an excellent way to um, to kind of simplify the importance of uh, building a sustainable operation. We have worked very hard to be able to get to the point of sustainability. We uh, we struggled with that in the beginning, um, and we are at, because because we did probably one of the things that I talk about each time that I'm asked to speak. Um, I feel like I, um, I I really dive into the importance of sustainability and I try to keep the conversation there for a little bit. We talk a lot about grants and how great grants are, um, but grants typically, not always, but typically only cover the cost of the capital, capital expenses. Your operational expenses are things that absolutely need to be considered and factored into your feasibility study. The number of homes passed and how you are going to be able to pay for that service on, on an ongoing basis if you aren't subsidized to do so. So from a model perspective, we offer uh, we offer multiple packages for our customers. We offer residential pack packages for our customers. We also offer voice and we also offer video. Many of our customers like the, the ability to be able to bundle those uh, services together. Um, but in the long run, we're really here to talk about the access and the connectivity and we are an ISP. Um, and we are an ISP that needs to be uh, sustainable and we need to meet the long-term needs of our community, not just here today. Um, so we truly have built a network that is here for us to be able to 15 years down the road. Um, we're making investments now for 12 to 15 years down the road um, and plans now for 12 to 15 years down the road, not just those five years. Um, to be able to make sure that from an operational standpoint, um, 
from an investment in our infrastructure standpoint. And almost, almost, I want to say even more importantly than that, um, investment in our skilled workforce. We have most of this team has been here from the very beginning. I have a pretty small, robust team uh, that is highly skilled, and I wouldn't trade them for the world. We continue to invest in them. We continue continue to invest in uh, their education and their training. Uh, if we have a fiber break, uh, it is our team that is called to handle uh, that fiber break. Fiber break doesn't really matter what time of day it is. If it's something that is beyond the capabilities of our team, if it's uh, if it's a large project, um, we have worked really hard to be able to have um, really strong partnerships and trusted trusted partners to be able to call and to be able to work with in emergency type situations. We are rural as well. So we aren't we aren't as rural as, as some communities, but we are pretty rural. If you've ever been up in northern New York, uh, we, we are by far not upstate New York, which is just north of the city. We are northern New York. Uh, we sit right along the Canadian border. Um, but we typically for us to be able for us to be able to get a crew here to assist us is at least a three hour drive if they're available. Um, so our workforce has to be skilled and all of those things really need to be factored in and the expense of those need to be factored in to your long term plan. I feel like that was a very long-winded answer to that, uh, to that question, but I, but I, I truly think that when you're talking about sustainability, you need to factor in the people, and and it's not just it's not just the payroll, it's it's uh, investing in a skilled workforce. Thank you, Allison, and thank you for pointing out the the demographics of New York State. You're absolutely right. Everybody thinks of New York as New York. There's a lot in New York that's very, very frontier and remote. I I started to hear things about the previous funding and some of the challenges, and so I want to shift to topic number three of four. Now, I didn't get to all the questions. Uh, we will have time at the end, but and then if we don't get to those, we'll we'll follow up afterwards. So uh, here we go. What what worked and what didn't work uh, as far as some of these previous? And I'll, I'll dive into what that is. And I'm going to do kind of throw the ball up in the air and whoever catches it between the three of you, because I know, Barrick, you haven't I haven't given you an opportunity to uh, <laughs> questions your way. You know, there have been programs uh, before. When I say previous, I'm talking about before the NTIA Tribal Connectivity Program, which was which is very focused on exactly what we're talking today. But there were programs before. Uh, I think Godfrey, you talked about RUS. Uh, there were some opportunities in some cases to get the ACAM. I think I saw during the poll earlier that uh, Reconnect, or, uh, which is also an RUS program. So uh, I'll throw the ball up. Uh, who wants to talk first? Uh, tell me some of your some of your challenges. Uh, what worked? What didn't work? Uh, some of these earlier funding areas. So, who wants it? And I can touch on a little bit of that, Greg, as well as you know, there the things that have worked was. Um, you know, really bringing the attention to the need for broadband in these rural areas. Um, the definition of 25 by three is currently being uh, moved up. So that's really going to help a lot of things. Uh, and especially to build fiber throughout these territories uh, with 
the you know more recent reconnect we have a hundred by twenty definition of broadband now so I think we're going to be able to reach into some more pockets and you will see some additional funding come forth to be able to push fiber deeper into your network where before they may have been covered twenty five by three by your wireless network but they may not be able to get you know a hundred by twenty so uh, I think you know things are kind of working there. One thing that, you know, and I'm sure Godfrey will, will, and Allison will touch on this as well, but the previous funding mechanisms that we've seen have only been for capital build projects, uh, not for, you know, sustainability of the network. And, you know, that's one thing where it's really important as you start to bring your applications together, if you decide to go after funding, is to pull a financial model together where you can actually see how when you develop your your broadband ISP or even if you just want to do dark fiber that yeah how do you how was this thing cash flow and do a full feasibility study on that and I'll go ahead and let uh, you know Godfrey or Allison reach out as well all right uh, yeah I'll step in there uh, the biggest thing about these previous funding models were uh, RUS had a uh, community grant program which uh, was kind of a, a starter to uh, building uh, wireless, more of them wireless networks uh, because it wasn't, the, the grants weren't so big, about around one to one and a half million, I think is what the size of them. But it comes down to the point to where, you know, uh, ISP has to look at itself. Am I going to get into the regulatory world or uh, become a, a CLEC, competitive local exchange carrier, where I compete against other companies around me so I can uh, get ETC, and look at uh, easier funding models, uh, especially with the EBB program or the uh, or, uh, Lifeline and the new EBB will change into that new, uh, uh, I forget that too. What, what, <laughs> Beric's gonna help uh, us with that. <laughs> yeah. It's the affordable connectivity program. Thank you. I just had to look it up. I just looked it up. Yeah, so many new- uh, I've been stumbling over it. Every other day. So, I mean, that's kind of tough, but- uh, other than that, I mean, it's going to come to where Allison's going to try to figure out, am I going to be uh, more competitive and build a network where it helps pay for it? And then also there's models where you build and get funding from those programs, but also sustainably funding from uh, uh, USF, uh, Universal Service Funds. That, that's a huge fund and everybody pays into it and uh, you uh, can pull some money out of that for that. So. NTTA is working on that right now. Actually, I do not want to see any country get a black eye from all this funding that's coming in for infrastructure. Uh, I don't want to see any failure out there of, of a lot of these tribes. We want to step in to help. And with that, we're advocating for sustainability funding at some point from somewhere uh, to be able to do that. U.S. is one of those uh, arenas that we could get funding from. Uh, congressional uh, yearly allocations could be another way of doing this to be able to do that and looking at that model to do that. You've got to get some gas and new tires or whatever else to drive this uh, car that you're going to get because it, that's all it's paying for. It's just the uh, infrastructure itself. So we've got to make sure that we get that going. So hopefully we'll build these standards and help out. NTTA is there to help. And we're looking at these different models and hopefully uh, with all the uh, tribal telcos that are part of NTTA, we can help in any arena for a lot of tribes that can uh, that need it. And come look at us, go to our website. We're also having a conference this uh, coming year to talk a lot about a lot of these issues more specifically. 
to be able to uh, learn more about that. So that's coming down a pike here pretty soon in February. Allison uh, is going to come to a, a point someday where she's going to say, man, I need to get the ETC status. I need to do this. I need to do that to kind of help the company even further and build out those networks and then even compete, compete against uh, local providers. Those are some of the other things that are uh, coming down the pike for her. Excellent. Excellent. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll hand it to you, Allison, talk about before, but, uh, and then we'll shift to uh, what's coming up. So uh, any, any other things to add? No, the only thing I'd like to add, Godfrey, I can't believe we haven't met before today. Um, I feel like we're carrying on a conversation in the middle of this panel, but um, I guess that's maybe the point of it. Um, we've actually started working on our ETC application for all the reasons that Godfrey just talked about. That's on our, that's on our roadmap over the next year and it's something that we know that we need to be able to do and investing again the time and the resources to be able to do it is is uh, becoming critical for us excellent excellent okay so i'm going to shift to the last topic uh i'm going to barrick is i've asked barrick to give us a readout of of where things are and then what's coming down the path and uh, he's very knowledgeable he, he breezes day in and day out after he goes uh, Godfrey, could you jump in and talk specifically around the NTIA? And then there was a really good question or comment from uh, Anselmo Ramon in the chat window, if, if you could also address that, because I think that's a, he, he's making a really, really good point of some of the things you can use, use with the NTIA dollar. So, Barrick, it's all yours. You know, my name is Barrick Harlan. I think I spoke a little bit earlier, but uh, I work with CHR Solutions. We're an engineering consulting firm. We also have an OSSBSS system. But uh, the main thing I kind of want to talk here is about some of the funding mechanisms to build these networks to be able to provide uh, broadband access to the tribes. Right now, there's really two main funding mechanisms that are out there. Uh, one is the RUS, the reconnect. You'll see reconnect round three uh, is kind of the newest one that was actually, it opened up last month on the 24th. Uh, the other is NTIA. We actually had a window for NTIA that closed uh, back earlier this year. And one thing that Godfrey is going to talk about is for those of you that did submit, uh, you know, applications, supposed to be hearing something back on that they're saying by the end of the year, but there is going to be another NTIA program upcoming that will be this next year. And I'll kind of touch on some of those dates there, but uh, go back to reconnect three. So really uh, you have a 90 day application window that opened up on November the 24th. Uh, we'll close on February the 22nd uh, of 22. So 2222. If you haven't already started on that one, probably need to get started really quick. There's three different uh, ways of funding in that reconnect program. You have a hundred percent loan, you have a 50 50 uh, grant loan, you have a hundred percent grant, and then they also have for tribal entities, they have a hundred percent grant with no matching funds, which is big. And that's one thing that, uh, you know, we really have seen a push for in some of these new programs is especially for, you know, tribal entities that are looking to get started off is it's tough to go to the tribe and say, well, yeah, we're going to get this, this grant, but you're still going to have an outpush of cash that you have to have. Uh, usually that's about 20, 25% uh, that they want you to match with that. Sometimes that's, you know, can be difficult to buy it off. Uh, looking at the, you know, really four different areas of funding, the hundred million or the hundred percent loan, you have 200 million dollars there. Uh, there's a $50 million cap for your application. 
for the 50-50 grant loan, there's $250 million bucket out there with a $25 million cap. The 100% grant is, uh, I'll kind of break this up because it is a little bit different. The 100% grant, there's $350 million, a $25 million cap, but then they also have FAR level four uh, application cap, and that's for frontier and remote areas. There's a map that they actually have on their website that classifies what those are. If you do that, uh, you can actually bump that up to a $35 million mat cap on that. And then that is that has a... The 100% grant does have matching funds associated with it. Now, for tribal entities, there's another bucket there that is uh, $350 million. You still have the $25 million cap. And then for the far level four areas, there's a $35 million cap, and that has no match. So as that money comes in, that is just money to build, capital money to build your network, not operational funds, but just capital money to be able to do that. Like we said, you know, that closes February the 22nd. Kind of moving forward towards NTIA, we'll kind of go into the infrastructure bill a little bit. That bill was actually signed by the president on November the 15th. With that, there is a lot of money that's been earmarked for that. We don't actually have the rules for that yet. So what we, we will have what's called a notice of funding opportunity that is going to open up. And that basically gives you the rules for how you can apply what different, how they're going to break up the money. We do have funding buckets identified there, just not the rules yet. Uh, that actually will be on March the 14th is when that is scheduled to be released. But with the infrastructure bill, there's $65, $65 billion that have been allocated, which is a huge bucket of money. Uh, out of that, $42.45 billion is actually going to states and territories of the United States to, to basically have in their program that they can give to carriers or people to go out and build broadband networks. Uh, there's $1 billion that is actually earmarked for middle mile fiber. And that's kind of what we talked about, that fiber backbone. And that's something we haven't really seen in a lot of funding uh, programs that have come out as for specifically for middle mile. But that does help build that backbone through your territory, whether you want to be a service provider or not, you can still build that backbone through your territory and own that fiber asset there. There's $2 billion that are earmarked for tribal entities, which is a bit, very, very big bucket. When we saw the NTIA applications that were due September 1st, that was very oversubscribed. There was a lot of need uh, there, and they're not gonna, there's not going to be enough money to hand that out through NTIA's last, I guess, funding window that they have. So that's going to be a, a, another big thing there. And then there's also the digital equity, and they have $2.75 billion allocated for digital equity. Uh, and that kind of wraps up kind of what we can see right now. I think a lot of you're going to have, you know, reconnect RUS will kind of self-fund, you know, going forward. It'll be interesting to see 
how things move, how some of the rules change going forward. And I think one thing that we would like to even see, especially on the NTIA side with the tribal entities, is to have some sustainability in there as well. So that's one thing I know that the NTTA is really pushing for uh, on behalf of the tribes that are out there. So we really appreciate Godfrey and and his group of going out there and you know representing you guys to show that you know, like Godfrey said, you've got one shot at this money. Uh, we want to go through and make sure it counts. And we want to be able to build a sustainable company uh, to be able to provide services. That, that was excellent. As excellent. So I'm watching the time very closely. We have six minutes left. Real quick, there's a question about a link to the reconnect. Thank you, Joni. Uh, if you check the chat, you can see that link. Godfrey, uh, I'm going to give you three minutes and then I'm going to steal the last two. Okay. Uh, thank you again, Greg. Again, uh, looking at NTIA uh, grants in this first round, again, if you didn't remember, uh, they gave out the first award on November 16th, I believe, and that was only three awards. We just got an email uh, yesterday or the day before telling us that there's no way they can process all these applications. So they're going to be doing it on a rolling basis from now till spring of 2022, when the last award will be done. So there's going to be... it's going to be kind of tough in that realm. The other part of that too is that you've got one year to spend that money. So there's some issues up in any country that uh, you need to be aware of. And that a lot of that is supply chain disruption. Can you get fiber? Can you get equipment? Is a lot of that equipment available? So a lot of that has to be uh, answered, but you can't buy anything until you have the money in hand. So these are things that make a lot of people worry at night what to do with that. Along that, along that line, so uh, on the second round of the uh, the uh, tribal connectivity uh, grant process that's happening, the two billion that Barack was talking about, hopefully that will be extended out to where it's a four year program, being able to uh, spend that money in a leisurely way <clears throat> to build a network that you're wanting and looking for. In that time, hopefully the rules uh, will allow for at least some kind of sustainability funding, maybe a year or two of it. That could help a lot of tribes and be able to uh, be successful in their connectivity and make sure uh, Greg uh, cut me off when I'm, my time is up. <laughs> but as we keep going, moving forward, we want to make sure we build these tribal smart communities to be able to uh, look at standards and how to build things. All of us sometimes, Allison, I congratulate you for the way you built your thing. But if you had a set of, of standards to kind of go by, I, th- I think that made that process a little bit easier. But again, hopefully we can help a lot of these new ISPs that are coming up, be able to look at that and be able to uh, follow that kind of a model just to get get a little bit of help. And Allison, uh, I commend you for everything you've done. You've done great up there. I I visited Acquisesity back. uh, It's been about probably uh, 10 to 12 years ago. I worked with a guy named David Cole up there, and we talked about the first broadband networks. And you guys have been working on this for a long time, so... Uh, we consulted with you guys and we're able to uh, hopefully put you down that road. So you're a product of that. So, man, I commend you for what you've done. And now hopefully you're going to build your uh, network even more strong to be able to provide services there for acquisition. I, I do want to thank everybody. Barrick, thank you very much. Allison Mitchell and Gottfried. Uh, this has been one of the best webinars I've been on in the sense of the the amount of knowledge and and conversation and interaction we've had. I want to especially thank 
those who joined. This is a, I've heard this is a record size webinar and uh, everybody has been so accommodating and uh, willing. I, there are two or three questions we have not got to. We will get to those. We'll do a follow-up uh, through, through Tribalizer to uh, get that information out to you. I'm going to close it. Everybody, thank you very much. And thank you, Tribalize, for um, going ahead and hosting this for us. It's been fabulous. If you'd like to watch this CalX webinar, please visit tribalwise.com. Don't forget to subscribe and follow our show wherever you listen to podcasts to never miss an episode. Connect with all of us here by searching Tribal Hub on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or visit our webpage at tribalhub.com.